Due to popular demand, you can subscribe to Kiko's Freethinkers Forum on YouTube. You can watch all of our videos there on our YouTube platform. Now you can also subscribe and listen to any of our audio on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Podvine, Podbean, Amazon, and different platforms. Please tell your friends and family, and I hope you enjoy your day, beautiful people. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Kiko's Freethinkers Forum. We're welcomed by a repeat guest um, from episode four, Margaret Kimberly. Uh, she is a co-founder of Black Agenda Report. And um, she's right now, she's the director of that same site. Um, and she's the author of Prejudential Black American Presidents. We talked about that on um, episode four. But today we're going to talk about slightly different information. But there's going to be a lot of overlap. Um, a lot of talk with um, Ukraine, Russia, just um, anti-war coalition building possibilities. And we're going to discuss a few of her articles that she published for Eurasia. Um, and she published for a lot of different outlets, LA Progressive. I think she's published for Counterpunch in the past. But regardless, I want to say welcome to the show and thanks for accepting that invitation. Oh, it's good to be back. Good to see you again. Yes, uh, the, the audience is pretty familiar with you. Um, had a great, fun episode the first time around, and this one shouldn't disappoint either. Uh, I want to ask you, though, there's been so much that's happened uh, since we talked about six months ago, just with um, the movement on the ground and all these news stories and everything else. But I wanted to ask you um, about the March 18th um, rally, the anti-war rally in Washington. You gave such a wonderful speech, and there were some other beautiful speakers there, Medea Benjamin, um, <laughs> Eugene from um, Answer Coalition, and the PSL people, Green Party, Jill Stein. There were just so many different, um, I guess, groups that came together that day. Could you describe that event, and what was the reception of it? Well, the uh, uh, March 18th, um, uh, we there was a... Um a rally and teaching uh, called by Answer, uh, Answer Coalition, uh, along with uh, groups such as Black Alliance for Peace, Code Pink for Peace, International Action Center. I think I said Black Alliance for Peace. Um, and uh, it was a couple thousand people in Washington in Lafayette Park, which is right across from the White House. It's a lovely place in case uh, you ever visit. Uh, but uh, yeah, on March 18th, we gathered to, uh, the action was called Peace in Ukraine. And uh, we were united in uh, an anti-imperialist viewpoint. Uh, and we see the U.S. as the empire in question uh, uh, to call for peace in Ukraine, to call for an end to hostilities, to call for an end to, actually an end to NATO, which uh is not this, uh, you know, warm and cuddly defensive uh, organization. It's very much an offensive organization, uh, as we've seen in Ukraine and uh, in other places. Uh, but, uh, you know, the U.S. is, uh, and NATO and the EU are the cause of this problem. They instigated this war. They've been threatening Russia for decades. 
Um, Russia's, uh, they call it their special military operation, which they launched last February, could have ended very quickly. They were willing to talk to Ukraine. They were talking. The U uh, Ukraine and Russia were talking. Uh, the Turkish government there were meet, was hosting these talks in Istanbul, uh, but the U.S. and the U.K. scuttled those talks. And since that time, more than 100,000 people have died. And, and for those who say they want to stand by Ukraine, more Ukrainian soldiers have died than Russians. So, uh, so it's about 100,000 Ukrainians, about 20,000 Russians. Um, now, you know, the sources, the, the source I get is that, that, and others are using is the BBC. And the BBC is very biased, very much anti-Russian. I don't think they would um, uh, they would say there were fewer Russian deaths if there if there weren't. But but anyway, I, I don't want to digress too much. But um, this war was born uh, out of um, uh, the U.S. desire to contain Russia. Uh, to uh, make Russia subordinate to the U.S. and its allies, to encircle that country. And of course, nobody wants that to happen. You're talking about a major military power. And of course, they're resisting this. And uh, so we're calling for uh, good faith talks uh, 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 on, um, on the part of all parties and for an end to this, um, this imperialist, uh, imperative, which is uh, the cause of this and so many other crises around the world. So um, uh, I think that sums up pretty uh, well uh, what it was that we were calling for and we're mobilizing and trying to um, get other people to speak up because I don't think most Americans want, I, I think it's now $115 billion of their money to go to, and people say go to Ukraine, it's going to the military industrial complex. It's going to Raytheon and McDonnell Douglas and Lockheed and all the rest of them. It's money that um, does not go to the people. Um, the organization, I'm, uh, I wear more than one hat, so I'm in leadership of both the Black Alliance for Peace, United National Anti-War Coalition. Black Alliance for Peace calls for cutting the defense budget in half. And you cannot do that if you have these um, uh, endless wars, these forever wars. You know, they stopped one in Afghanistan, I think, and just moved it to Ukraine. And uh, so, uh, it, and it's, and I say this all the time. You know, it's it's antithetical for a country that uh, involves itself, interferes in the affairs of other countries, that an imperialist nation to also take care of its people. So you're not going to have, I mean, what's been happening lately, all the COVID era programs, safety net programs are ending. So the SNAP benefits, there are millions of people who had uh, SNAP nutrition benefits, uh, the old food stamp program as they were called, as it was called. Now it's Medicaid. There was automatic Medicaid enrollment. That's ending. That means people are going to get kicked off. People who should be on, even by the rules of their state, are going to be kicked off. It's inevitable. So um, we, in order to have a country that cares for its people, there's so many reasons to end this um, this belief that the U.S. can and should uh, have hegemony over the rest of the world. 
And this is a perfect opportunity for us to look at that, to look at the consequences of it. Ukraine has been harmed. U Ukraine is wrecked in so many ways. Uh, the the so-called allies of the U.S. The U.S. doesn't really have allies. It only has vassals and enemies. But anyway, countries that are supposedly allies like Germany, the U.S. blew up their Nord Stream pipeline, created inflation, um, uh, cut off the energy supplies they needed from uh, Russia. And Germany approached Russia, by the way, to build the Nord Stream pipeline so they could stop using nuclear and coal. And uh, so it was. It benefited them to have natural gas come from Russia. So you have this uh, these sanctions that are kind of phony because it's kind of complicated. But Russia will sell oil to A, who then sells it to B, so they can say, "Oh, there's sanctions against Russian oil when there aren't." Russia's doing, frankly, much better than European countries. They are literally out of weapons. They are scrounging Europe. Now it's South America. They asked Brazil for, for uh, weapons. The U.S. had weapons in Israel and, and removed those so they could send them to Ukraine. They're trying to force them to have this counteroffensive, which will har harm their country even more. So all of that needs to stop. We need to have an honest discussion about what the US role should be in the world. And we wanna encourage people to speak up and to, you know, we talk so much about democracy, to really have a democracy where the people play a role, but that can't happen unless people are mobilized. Yes, you hit on some really important um, bullet points and we're gonna expand on those some. You mentioned a word earlier, you mentioned instigation. Um, mm -hmm. You can use provocation. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the context of the war, the Russo-Ukrainian war that's going on right now, that started out of thin air, you know, right? <laughs> but we've actually dedicated a lot to this uh, topic. We had a lot of um, contributors and writers from the, from the book Flashpoint in Ukraine how the U.S. drives hegemony towards World War III that was actually published in 2014 amongst those authors, Cynthia McKinney, uh, Paul Craig Roberts. Um, we had Jeffrey Summers on the forum. Matt Witt was on the forum. Jack Rasmus, just a bunch of different people um, just basically agreeing on that issue that NATO expansion was inevitable, like that's what they're doing. And But if you look at the mainstream media, they make it seem like Russia just bombarded Ukraine, but we know that there's just such a lead up in the history. And that's where the country doesn't have that um, information, or at least we've been polarized so much to the point where people aren't willing to listen to these perspectives that um, arrive at the truth, which um, leads me to a question I had about just the sentiment of the everyday person right now in this country who may not be... Um, I guess I won't say that they're not political, but they kind of just go along with whatever they hear people say. You know, you have a lot of those types of people in the country. Uh, I had a video, I talked to an analyst from India last week, and throughout the, the video, they sent me a message and said, Kiko, I like you, but I didn't like what the presenter was saying as far as this war, because they said that it started from, um, I guess basically they were giving Russia like a lot of credit or um, a legitimate defense towards protecting its borders. And I couldn't keep watching the video. 
So they so they acknowledge on one hand that there's true to Russia being provoked. So what is the what's the underlying sentiment from keeping that person to see it from another point of view? They're just kind of stuck in their own echo chamber. So I guess the question is, um, where does this sentiment come from with the skepticism and the, the hate towards Russia? And is that attributed to Russiagate solely? Like, where exactly do you think that that started from and built? Well, it's war propaganda. And people are indoctrinated and propagandized. It's so rare for people. And I know as I've grown politically and grown in knowledge, when you hear something for the first time, it sounds crazy, even if it makes sense. So you've been, Russiagate plays a big role. Uh, Russia put Donald Trump into office. Uh, Vladimir Putin is evil um, and he's Hitler. And it's that sort of thing is done on purpose because if somebody's Hitler, well, you don't negotiate with Hitler. So if Putin is Hitler, then there's nothing to talk about except to defeat him. And they do this all the time with anybody the U.S. targets. They're the worst, most evil dictator, authoritarian person ever in history. And that's how they get buy-in from the public. And we have a corporate media, unless you read Black Agenda Report um, and other outlets like ours, you're just unaware of the information that I gave and all of which I, I stand by and that is provable. You know, they go on and on, it's unprovoked, unprovoked, unprovoked. They always protest too much. That tells you it was provoked. It's been provoked for the past 30 years. And uh, since the fall of the Soviet Union, the U.S. has been, uh, and of course, they lied to Gorbachev, who was a you know, naive dupe who believed them when they <laughs> said they weren't going to expand NATO East. All the Warsaw Pact countries, all the nations that were allies of the Soviet Union are now members of NATO, members of the EU. They all are uh, um, uh, targeting uh, Russia. Some of them hold nuclear weapons, NATO nuclear weapons. So this has been going on for 30 years. In 2014, the Obama administration actually uh, worked with the Ukrainian right wing to overthrow the elected president. Viktor Yanukovych was the president of Ukraine. He was elected by the people. And this Maidan uh, uh, coup, was um, really put the knife to uh, Russia's throat. They installed a hostile uh, government right on Russia's border, but there were regions of Ukraine that did not want to be part of this coup government. So in the Donbass, the Donetsk and Lugansk uh, republics, those regions, they didn't want to be part of um, the new coup government. And uh, there was a process, the Minsk agreements, Minsk I and Minsk II, that were supposed to give those regions autonomy, give them language rights. The right wing wanted to wipe out the Russian language. Now, you, many Ukrainians are bilingual. So everything you hear now about how, you know, Russians forced their culture and language on them, it's it's one of the problems Ukraine had as a uh a nation uh, that was divided and uh, and polarized, but it was for them to figure out, not for the U.S. to insert itself, to choose sides, to aggravate a conflict, and then to undo the Minsk agreement. So there were supposed to be guarantees for Russia and Ukraine, uh, autonomy for the regions, as I mentioned. But now we've seen some of the signatories of Minsk 
uh, Angela Merkel, the former German chancellor, the former French president, Mr. Hollande, who have admitted that it was all phony and that it was used to give Ukraine time to uh, rearm. So it was never honest. Ukraine has been a de facto U.S. colony since 2014. And if the U.S. wanted to make good on the Minsk agreements, they would have done it. Uh, and the Minsk agreement agreements were um, uh, uh, voted on in the U United Nations, unanimously approved in the UN Security Council. So that was the mechanism to guarantee peace. But the U.S. doesn't want peace. The U.S. wants hegemony and the U.S. wants to control. And uh, so last year, actually starting in the end of 2021, they were instigating the U the uh, Ukrainian military to attack the Donbass. They were shelling the Donbass and they were daring Russia to come in. And their stupid plan was uh, for Russia to come in and then they could sanction Russia and this would wreck the Russian economy and Vladimir Putin would be history. And none of which happened. And I, you know, I, I find it frightening, frankly, that these people who are supposed to be experts actually believed this. Now, I'm not a Russian expert. I'm, I'm, you know, not in any position to claim great knowledge, but I knew that Russia was working on protecting itself from sanctions. I, I knew that. So I was like, well, so I know that, but the Secretary of State doesn't. <laughs> and we have, so we have this, I call it fantasy foreign policy where people want something to happen and act as though it, as though it will. And uh, so, um, so they instigated it. They did not want peace. And the U.S. is much worse off now than it was before. Uh, Russian troops are still in Ukraine. Uh, there has not been much change in dis dislodging them. Uh, they're, they have ruined all efforts at talks. Um, the sanctions they imposed on Russia increased oil prices all over the world for everyone. But then they try to interfere with other people. They realize they've made a mistake. They want the Saudis, for example, to pump more oil. The Saudis said no. And they quarreled with them publicly. Now Saudi Arabia, they're hosting Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping has... Uh, um, uh, now conducting peace talks between Iran and Saudi Arabia, between Saudi Arabia and Yemen, and uh, nature abhors a vacuum, so other parties have stepped in. Countries are openly talking about dumping the dollar as the world's reserve currency. Nothing has happened the way they wanted, nothing. And this idea that you can't... Um, do anything else comes from propaganda. So the New York Times, I'll give you an example. A couple of days ago, the New York Times wrote uh, an article about Nord Stream sabotage, the explosion of the Nord Stream pipeline. And they interviewed people in Scandinavia. I, th I think it was, uh, I'm, I shouldn't say, one of the countries in the Baltic that the pipeline went through and they were like, nobody knows who did it and maybe we should never know. Now they never once in this article mentioned Seymour Hirsch, the investigative reporter, who in February wrote a 5,000 word article on his Substack showing how the US did, common sense told you the US did it, <laughs> but they don't mention Seymour Hirsch 
at all. And that's why people like that viewer are so uncomfortable. There's too much cognitive dissonance. If you're uh, told the US is right and good and Russia is evil and bad and there's nothing else for you to know. And if you introduce some new information, it's very difficult for many people to take in. Very well um, documented. I, I think it's just a matter of people dealing with their minds. It's the struggle with their mind is the cognitive dissonance that you just mentioned. Um, it has to be what it is. Um, I don't know. It leads me, we won't talk about the article right this second, but I was thinking about the COINTELPRO article that you wrote um, that we're going to discuss later, just um, how it's just a dead end. It seems like there's never going to be a coalition building if you got this type of a mindset because you have this um, tug of war going on and you have people, you can't say that you, you're open-minded enough to certain ideas, but then you're still following that mainstream media is still grabbing your attention. And, and it's just, once you break away from that, maybe there's more possibility of you um, being receptive. But I just, I see the trend going on and it's all, it's like they find two to three year cycles to wrap them right back into the same propaganda where mm -hmm. they may have had a brief period to where they take a break from it. But then it's like they go right back to the same rabbit hole um, of the mainstream media again. And all these companies are complicit, like you said, the New York Times or the Post, you mentioned mm -hmm. in the article how Bezos, one of the richest people in the world, owns the Post now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's it's very hard and it's all by design. And, you know, people like Seymour Hersh used to work for major media. He worked for the New York Times. He worked independently, but he was also a foreign correspondent for the New York Times. And I think about those moments, there were times when they would, uh, the, the Pentagon Papers at uh, Daniel Ellsberg, uh, released it today they wouldn't do it mm -hmm. they would not do it and uh, we have the met like this we have the means through these platforms to get more information but most people still depend on corporate media and that means they are being propagandized I, I, I don't know how else what other word to use that's 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 what it is for sure um it's, it's like being a dead horse but that's I can't find a better word to describe it either. Um, I wanted to talk some, again, before we get into the articles, you mentioned AFRICOM on, in your speech on March 18th. Can you clarify to the audience what that is? Because you also mentioned that in our first episode, episode four, um, just so the audience knows exactly what that is and how you're trying to bring attention to that. Sure. The United States has divided the world into military commands as if it owns the world. So there's a NORTHCOM, the U.S. and Canada, SOUTHCOM, Caribbean and Latin America, Indo-Pacificcom, most of Asia, CENTCOM is uh, most of uh, Western Asia or the Middle East as it's known, and there's an AFRICOM, U.S. Africa Command. And it started <clears throat> at the end of the George W. Bush administration, but really grew under Obama. Basically, it integrates African militaries into the U.S. And um, it's an effort, of, obviously, to control these countries, to control uh, their politics. It's also an effort to counter uh, Chinese economic uh, influence in Africa, which is uh, only growing through the Belt and Road Initiative. 
But, um, you know, as, uh, as black people, we have to oppose, we have to oppose NATO. We have to, NATO destroyed Libya. Uh, you know, it's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. How did they decide to destroy Libya? Uh, so it's the U.S. and NATO, these military, there are 800 U.S. military bases, uh, U.S. and NATO military bases all over the world. They work with the former colonizers like France. Uh, African countries are trying to finally really kick France out of, um, of Africa, kick the military out. And so they can make their own decisions. But um, the U.S. Africa Command is a central uh uh, part of this, these U.S. command structures, which, uh, um, you know, the goal is domination. The goal is to keep uh, resources in these countries for the U.S. and its friends. And it obviously means that people in these countries don't have sovereignty and don't have a say in their countries. And there's nothing good about uh, military spending. There's nothing good about militarism. Black Alliance for Peace, we have a U.S. Uh, out of Africa, shut down Africa um, campaign. And we always point out that there's no divide between the domestic and the international. So when you depend on militarism around the world, well, guess what? You have militarized policing here. Uh, U.S. police departments here. I live in New York City. The NYPD, uh, the budget for NYPD is $11 billion dollars. And we're told, oh, no, you can't cut. the. You can cut everything else, libraries, education, everything else that helps the people, but you can't cut the police budget. If you combine uh, the uh, budgets for policing in the United States, it's as big as the military budgets of most other countries. And so then you can't be surprised when the police kill people with impunity. And by the way, police in this country th kill three pe an average of three people every day. It's always more than 1,100 people um, a year. And there are very direct connections. There's a, it's called the 1033 program where surplus military equipment is given to police departments across the country. There's no reason why police departments need armored personnel carriers, unless you want to use them to control the public and keep people from protesting. We say shut down AFRICOM, shut down all the military structures, cut the U.S. defense budget in half. It's now $880 billion. Um, it's a huge amount of money, and that is money that could be uh, uh, directed to help the people. But as I said before, that means a bigger change, and that is what we should be striving for. There's um, one more question that I think that's crucial to this, um, what we've talked about this first 25 minutes or so, that I think will more or less correlate and transition well into what we have to talk about next. Um, I want to get your views on um, what you see as coalition building as far as the potential of that down the road or maybe right now, because you, we mentioned the March 18th anti-war rally, but there was also one the previous month in February, um, the Rage Against the War Machine rally. But just following the people that I follow, and I try to stay, I won't call it neutral, but put it this way, I'm not going to put myself on Twitter. Like I'm, Kiko has retired from, I've never posted on Twitter. I'm not going to start now. And Facebook, I've retired from it. I got shamed so bad a couple of years ago. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to focus on my content and get bring on quality guests. And we're going to have great discussions and maybe help, you know, build things from the outside that way. But 
what is the deal with those people that participated in the Rage Against the War Machine and then the people in the March 18th? There was some overlap, but it seems like there's a friction between groups who agree on an issue, but they can't seem to work together. Um, what's your view on that whole idea? The Rage Against the War Machine, well, it was a strange group of people. It was like the Libertarian Party, mm -hmm. uh, the most conservative elements of the Libertarian Party, but they invited people who had anti-war uh, reputations for longstanding reputations. And I think they invited them to give themselves cover, frankly. Mm. But um, uh, Black Alliance for Peace was not invited. United National Anti-War Coalition, the groups I'm involved with, were uh, were not invited, which was okay because um, we, we are anti-imperialists. And to say that, well, we invited... Uh, I, I don't know, Rand Paul or somebody else that I have is truly problematic for me. There are people who argue, well, this is an emergency and it is, um, you know, we could have nuclear war, we could. And so we have to join with anybody who wants to stop this war in Ukraine. I don't believe that's true. I don't see how involving libertarians in a march moves the needle at all. Uh, the problem is imperialism. So if you're not anti-imperialist, or if you, uh, for example, I know libertarians say they want to cut the defense budget, but they are also in favor of getting rid of the safety net. So I can't just say, well, they want uh, the U.S. not to be involved in Ukraine, so I'm going to forget everything they ever said or did, uh, I I cannot do that. Now some people did, and I I you know made a decision not to fall out with anybody who participated. There are people I respect who did choose to participate. I still respect them, but there's always a struggle. There's an ideological struggle, and I think that's just fine. Um, but as I said, our the groups, my groups weren't invited, and that frankly was um, okay. But I, I think it showed that lack of organizing um, uh, experience uh, showed and made um, that effort uh, 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 less impactful than it would have been. There were ties with the Movement for a People's Party. I don't know what kind of party it is. I don't think they run anybody <laughs> for office. Uh, they're, they're, you know, maybe Jimmy Dore is going to run for president. The Movement for a People's Party. So, you know, there were, you know, things going on I couldn't understand, but I was very comfortable sticking with the groups I know who have a longstanding history of opposing U.S. intervention, and I left that for other people. It's interesting because um, the, the forum has its view, but um, if people look at just the people that I bring on, there's really a variance of ideological mm -hmm. Um, points and um, that's for people to piece things up for themselves because I'm still piecing this together. Um, but sometimes, if you listen to what people are saying, that's almost enough that you need to do for yourself to make your own decisions going forward. Because um, I, I definitely listen to what you're saying for sure, and I kind of connect the dots, I can read between the lines. But people who are growing this political knowledge, I think they will get there for sure. But you have to contextualize all the different people I bring on and, and understand those connections. Because like Margaret was saying, 
Um, I think people are anti-war for completely different reasons. Um, they stated they're anti-imperial for completely different reasons. Um, and does that matter? Yes, it matters. Um, ultimately, because I think what we want is completely different from what those people want. But I do agree that coalition building is important, um, especially if we get to a situation like we're in right now where um, I think the U.S. is just so desperate to the point where we're going to provoke anyone we can um, to start anything we can outside of this country when it comes to um, disunity in the world. And um, I think a lot of that goes into your article where you talk about COVID in China and just this fear mongering of China. I mean, it's just like Russia. And the U.S. is in such a desperate situation that they just they've painted China and Russia is just like, those are the bad people and we have to fight them with all of our might. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, just it's, what it seems like. <laughs> I mean, you know, China's been created into this boogeyman. I mean, it's embarrassing to me. China has, they can't, they cannot diminish China's economic prowess. They can't. It's a wrap. It's done. And they did it. Um, by deindustrializing the United States, by saying, okay, let's let China into the World Trade Organization and they can make cheap stuff to sell at Walmart. But they took the ball and ran with it. And uh, now they have, some people say, the second biggest economy in the world. Some say they've already surpassed the U.S., the Belt and Road Initiative. They have economic ties all over the world. Uh, with their infrastructure projects, that can be problematic. I don't want to say China is all good either. Um, but China is a world power, a military power, an economic power. And the U.S. is not going to be able to subordinate them. But instead of, uh, and, and, and China for a long time, would not oppose the U.S. They called it the win-win. Leave us alone. Let us make money. You don't bother us. We won't bother you. But the U.S., you know, can't take no for an answer. <laughs> and so now you have these ridiculous hearings about TikTok. Um, and that's about giving uh, U.S. platforms an advantage in the world. There's nothing about TikTok spying on. No more so than any of the other platforms. If you're online, you're being spied on. And the National Security Agency keeps all records of all our communications. So there's no reason to worry about, um, uh, about China. So now they're trying to instigate something in Taiwan. Taiwan is part of China. China left Taiwan alone, but it's, and the U.S. officially follows a one China policy. Now you have people meeting with Taiwan, crossing a red line. Joe, I, I have to mention this briefly, Joe Biden with his crazy self at the State of the Union screaming about Xi Jinping. Who wants to be like Xi Jinping? And I'm like, everybody, they're all running. <laughs> Tron just went over there. The French president was there. Now the Brazilian president is mm -hmm. there. He was uh, met in person with Putin, a three-day long meeting. Um, and they are, uh, they as as she was departing, he said something about we're going to change the world. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, though. The world needs to be reordered. It needs to be changed. The U.S. has created disasters everywhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's all about China and COVID. And now I, I, I want to talk about this briefly. You know, when COVID first began and people said it's all China's fault, everything's China's fault. Mm -hmm. They kept it a secret. Not true. 
uh, came from the Wuhan lab. Well, here's the thing you need to know about the Wuhan lab. There were experiments going on and there are people who said they were dangerous and that could have caused a new disease. However, these projects were joint US-China projects. Now they wanna just talk about Wuhan and they've said they've declassified information about Wuhan, but they don't talk about what Fauci and other people at the National Institutes of Health, they were, uh, there was enough concern that these experiments, gain of function, I think they called, were stopped for a while, um, but they're not talking about what they did. And these people who were responsible have not been forthcoming. So we don't know what role the U.S. played, perhaps, in uh, the origins of COVID. And that was my point. So uh, there's this dishonesty. Yes, we should talk about um, if it's possible there was some human uh, intervention that created COVID, but it can't just be, oh, it's China. China is bad. Mm -hmm. No, that's half the story. You got to look at the other half too, but they aren't. They aren't talking about um, aren't talking about that. They like to um, and see. I've always thought of myself as kind of anticipating things going um, in the future, but people will tag that label on you, Kiko. You're just a conspiracy theorist and stuff. I, fine, you can call me what you want. I mean, I, I take it as a badge of honor, honestly, because um, all it does is just it's like the stuff we saw like years ago is just playing out like it's part of this plan and um you couldn't even question that stuff back then when it was in the situation when it was happening it was like unpopular to do it and yes. i think the media plays in the back too where you have to do things on their terms you can't talk about things when you want to you have to wait until everyone else tells you it's acceptable to talk about and to me it just justifies censorship it goes into that oh sure mm-hmm it's a, it, and then it becomes official censorship. So anybody who questioned COVID origins, anybody who questions vaccines, I was, um, and I, I'm, I, you know, I wonder, should I even use the word? I was, <laughs> yeah. uh, I was on another <laughs> YouTube interview and I said something about, I didn't say they were bad. I didn't say don't get jabbed, but they just took it. They removed it. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the words conspiracy theory, that term was created by the CIA. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the purpose of creating this term was to smear anybody who questioned official narratives. So I'm not, I don't like to use the term conspiracy theorist, knowing those origins. I, I was skeptical about any Wuhan connection, but I'm not anymore. I have an open mind. And um, there were people who did things they shouldn't have been doing and they haven't been forthcoming. So uh, I don't believe that they say, oh, it's an animal origin, except they can't find the animal. But then <laughs> after talking about Wuhan, suddenly they were like, oh, there's a raccoon dog in China. And then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. All this time you said you couldn't find an animal connection. Now you're coming up with a raccoon dog. So you have to question. You have to question. Um you know, getting this this new uh, uh, jab and people got got it, myself included, then got the illness anyway. So why can't you question? What was wrong with people questioning? Um, 
And I think a lot of it was tied up with Trump. I, I really do. So Trump was seen as the person uh, obstructing any progress. And uh, so any questions of a kind were like being a Trump supporter, uh, which is unfortunate. But I think other people, there were many questions that legitimately could have been asked that were not asked. And so now we don't know how it began. We don't know, uh, you know, it seems to have gotten milder. Thank God. That's good news. And uh, if there was, if there was some human intervention involved, uh, we are not going to know it because there are people who are not interested in finding out. I think reading your articles, I um, it just reaffirmed my views that I had about um, how people are just covering up a lot of this stuff. Um, one cover up in particular that. I completely share this agreement with is um, it COVID kind of pro pro provided cover for the failed healthcare system that we have, and yeah. um, we talk so much about pharmaceutical products, and we talk way less about to me what I thought was the actual root, and just like been exposed right there. If you want to lift over the sheets, I mean it tells you right there if we had some kind of a, a healthcare system. We're supposed to be this country with all these resources and the richest yes. country ever, and and millions of people died. Well, you're absolutely right. And recently, uh, um, it's been revealed that life expectancy in the United States continues to drop. Now, most countries took a hit when COVID first started. The so-called advanced countries, the the capitalist countries of the West that we are always com being compared to, they did as well. But they've all rebounded. And the life expectancy has gone back up. For the United States, it continues to drop because we have a crappy healthcare system. It's privately run. Uh, we have some states who still won't accept the Medicaid e expansion money. So there are millions of people who literally go without care at all. We don't have a healthy country. Preventive uh, measures are not um, uh, promoted. So, um, you know, the U.S. is, I, when I hear people say we have the best healthcare system in the world, I'm like, we do not. That is a lie. Um, our, uh, we spend, well, we don't spend all this money. All this money is given to big pharma, to insurance companies. Instead of having a national healthcare system, publicly run healthcare, a system, instead of this hodgepodge of, uh, privately run entities, we would be a healthier country. The COVID um, death toll would have been lower. Uh, our, our life expectancy would have rebounded by now, but uh, COVID exposed um, how bad things are here. Arguing about COVID is you know, it's like so very two years ago. But one of the things, so there were people who were very dismissive. Oh, it only kills 1% of the people. And I'm like, well, how do you, my question was always, I don't know which one I am. Somebody's very sick. Uh, or it's only people who are older, only people who are overweight. Well, I'm in that age range and I'm overweight. So you're talking about me. So I don't want to be one of those people who dismisses in that way. But um, uh, it's clear that we're not, this is not a healthy country. There's a lot of obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, 
all, all of uh, many things that are so preventable that are not prevented in this for-profit healthcare system. And we see how badly run it is when you have uh, um, a health crisis uh, like we had um, starting uh, three years ago. For sure. Um, I wanted to make sure we highlighted that the, the articles more or less equally because um, there's just so much content. I mean, they're not long articles, but is it, the, the content makes you think a lot about stuff. And um, going on this premise of providing cover, you just mentioned the felons of the healthcare system because of this profit-driven system, this capitalist system um, that we have. I mean, there's a connection between all this stuff, the, the East Palestine um, crisis. I just interviewed Alex from the United East Palestine yesterday. And um, it's all tied into um, corporations over people, uh, money over people. It's, it's all about people making money at the expense of, um, most of the time, people who don't have the resources, but um, just treating us like we're disposable. And um, it's unethical. It's not right. But um, it's not going to change unless, um, I, I don't know how much control we actually have, but I think at the very least a person can do is is be against that, I guess, um, just from an ethical standpoint. Um, no one's saying that you can control the actions that they make, but I mean, they don't mean you have to play along with it either. I mean, you don't have to keep delaying this process in a sure. further. Yeah, well, the very least you can do is speak the truth. So mm -hmm. when people go on and on about we have a democracy, we don't. We live in a we live in an oligarchy. We live in a plutocracy. We have we are our lives are controlled by a handful of wealthy people and corporations. That's not democracy. It just isn't. We don't get what we want. Even if the person who we want to win wins the presidency, we still don't get what we want. We might get a few things nibbling around the edges. But even Obamacare, ah, oh, it's a big thing, Obamacare. It's still privatized health care. Mm -hmm. I mean, the best thing about it was the Medicaid expansion, which you know, some states still haven't expected, uh, um, haven't um, ex accepted the expansion, but uh, Obamacare is not not cheap. It it you know I know people who got sick they still had to pay a lot out of pocket, so uh, tells you how conservative this country is. It's something which is conservative was considered left wing, but we don't have democracy. And uh, whatever else you do, just speak, understand the truth, and speak that truth. They may let you vote every few years, but voters come in at the end of the process. How did Joe Biden get to be president? They chose him. The they, the Democratic Party oligarchs. They didn't want Bernie Sanders. They made a decision. They said, okay, we're going to take a chance with Joe. Suddenly, remember everybody dropped out like the same day? And it was like, they're like, okay, y'all take a dive. We're going with Joe. They lucked out with um, uh, Trump and, and COVID, I think, mm -hmm. because- Biden didn't really have any real constituency. I think there was a lot of uh, dislike of Trump and that's how he got in. But voters came in at the end of the process. They rigged primaries, Ohio, I'm, I'm sorry, not Ohio, Iowa. They rigged it against Bernie Sanders. There were other states, they stole it from him. So can we stop talking about democracy? which mm -hmm. we don't have. Our elected representatives come so-called don't represent the people. They represent big pharma. They represent the uh, military industrial 
complex. They don't, they represent the, let me talk, you mentioned East Palestine and the railroad accident. Uh, the railroad workers did not accept their, I guess it was about six months or so ago, um, they rejected, all, well, all of the unions did not accept the contract uh, that had been negotiated with the railroads. And the big sticking point was the lack of paid sick leave. So why don't they all have paid sick leave? I will tell you why. Uh, Obama signed an executive order uh, towards the end of his term requiring all federal contractors to provide uh, paid sick leave. But railroads were exempted. That means if Biden wanted the railroad workers to get paid sick leave, all he needed was an executive order. He didn't have to go to Congress. He could have just done it, except we weren't told that there was a big story about how they basically forbade them to strike. Uh, the Democrats went through, oh, it was a good deal. It was the best deal we could have gotten. So-and-so who's a railroad worker vouches for us. It was all a lie. Biden could have done it. But that's what happens when you live in a plutocracy. That's what you get. You get lies. You get workers being stabbed in the back. Uh, we have people in this country who are struggling and nobody talks about them. I mean, the the, the temper I mean, they were temporary, the child tax credit, the build back better we were supposed to get, the student loan debt, the relief that hasn't happened. There's nothing, there's no urgency on behalf of the people. And whatever else you understand or think you can or cannot do, you should at the very least tell the truth. But you have to know it. That's why you have to read blackagendareport.com. A hundred percent. I'll definitely be plugging in all your information at the end of the episode description. You mentioned something about just the activity with the railroad unions. Um, I, I want to plug this in. Um, locally here in Tennessee, Nashville, one of the largest um, worker cooperatives um, in the South um, is called Workers' Dignity, Dignidad Obrera. Um, they fired all of their workers that were unionized um, last week. Just to give an update on that, I'm going to do a special episode myself um, because people are going through crisis management right now, so I can't really get people on camera. But um, that kind of stuff is happening like all over the country. You have these people just, um, they say that they're pro-union, pro-union, they want to protect the workers, but the exact opposite is happening. So um, people are lying to you constantly. Um, Margaret just exemplified um, the the gravity of the lies. I mean, it's coming from local levels and national levels. And um, it's, it's, it's really just a combination of people. And, but like I said, that's what the system is designed to do, is doing what it's supposed to do, um, protecting the people that are harming everyone else. And um, it's just this harm reduction cycle every single um, month, every single year, it seems like. But um, something you said that was interesting in the in the article the 20 years after Iraq, corporate media defends us. Um, I think you wrote it for Eurasia. Something I never really thought about. I, I think Trump is deep state anyway, first of all. I think Trump is a, all these people are playing their roles, Bernie Sanders, all of them. I don't trust any of them. They're all playing their roles. Bernie, um, he sits down when he has to bring people back into the Democratic Party. AOC does the same thing. That's what their role is. And Trump's role is to do the exact same thing, just in different ways. Um, but the media is protecting them because he has this personality and this um, reputation that he's like the outsider. He's the fighter. <laughs> this billionaire is a fighter. 
for the people. But in your article, you say yourself how this um, American Service Members Protection Act mm -hmm. doesn't even, it, it basically protects all these people who are the war criminals. And Trump is one of the war criminals. But instead of them talking about his war crimes, they're talking about him having sex with a porn star. But that's to throw you off. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, sure, they throw your mind into that realm. But they're covering up like the more serious things that he's doing. And so it's all a game, in my opinion. So people saying like, oh, he's getting like condemned and stuff. But not if you read this article, you you definitely have a different view, point, point of view, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, you. Uh, uh, yeah. So your age review does reprint what I write for Black Agenda Report. Lots of people reprint us, which is fine. I, I like it. It gets uh, spreads our, our work farther. But uh, the point I was making, it was around the time they said Putin was a war criminal and the ICC issued a warrant, warrant for his arrest and everybody said, ah, Putin's a war criminal. Well, the United States, like Russia, did not sign the treaty which brought the International Criminal Court into existence and the U.S. went further with this law and prevented uh, any American from being tried at the ICC. And went so far as to say the U.S. has the right to invade The Hague and bust somebody out of jail should they fall into the hands of the ICC. So mm -hmm. when they talk about somebody else being a war criminal, you gotta, uh, you have to um, uh, keep that in mind. And I, I was making a bigger point. I think this prosecution of Trump uh, here in New York for uh, falsifying business records, which can be a misdemeanor, um, now they're saying he was using it for election inter election fraud or trying not to pay taxes, trying to turn it into a felony. Um, meanwhile, none of these presidents invading Iraq, destroying Libya, uh, Trump's crimes of sanctions, which have killed people in Venezuela, killing an Iranian general, those are all war crimes. None of them will ever be called to account for the terrible crimes they have committed. Mm -hmm. But the Democrats think they can keep Trump from running again by prosecuting him. And that's why they're doing it. He can still run for office. Um, and if, if, if they lived up to even a little bit of their billing as the party of the, you know, the people, defenders of the workers, they wouldn't have to worry about Trump. But they think they can keep him out of office. They are going to screw this up very, very badly. He could get the not Republican, the Republican establishment wants to be rid of Trump, but Republican rank and file still like him. And he could get the nomination again anyway. So uh, if they wanted to get rid of Trump, the best thing to do was leave him alone. Um, I think he had diminished. I think January 6th did hurt him. So some of the election interference did hurt him. He would have been a footnote in history mm -hmm. had they just left him alone. But they they think they have to do. But I guess in order to get away with what they've been getting away with, you have to do something underhanded. Um, I think it is a mistake. Lee, I don't believe this indictment holds water, frankly. And I can just see how this will backfire Um backfire on them but one constant there will be is that the big crimes committed by presidents will go unpunished and that's a terrible thing a hundred percent and 
like I said, my theory, I think that they're trying, I think they want to keep this thing going. I think they want this show to be a thing because all this plays into ratings. Um, these people who claim to hate Trump, they love it when people are clicking on their articles. I mean, they use that, they use his name all the time. They're like, they hate him so bad, but they can't stop talking about him. And my white liberal friends are the worst. I'm sorry. They they talk about Trump so much. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, is there anything else you could talk about? Well, you know, he, he I, you know, I, the, the expression living rent free in somebody's head comes to mind when you think of <laughs> And they have talk about propaganda. Uh, they have used Trump to, uh, first of all, to uh, absolve themselves of the mess they made when they lost in 2016. Uh, so, you know, Vladimir Putin put him into office. It wasn't us screwing up. No, it was uh, somebody over there who we said was evil. Um, and it was to, um, yeah, it does. It, it it absolves them of blame. And they were afraid that Trump might make good on some of the things he said he was going to change about foreign policy and trade deals and so forth and or helping the workers they were afraid he might really do those things, but he, you know, they should have known that wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. But at, at any rate, they, the Democratic oligarchs want to stay in power. And because doing, uh, working on behalf of the people is something that they cannot do, all they can do is try to keep Trump out of office. And now they're using the court system to do it. And I think the end result is not going to be anything good. Before we go, can you um, expand on something that you were saying in your um, article um, about how comrades revealed the existence of COINTELPRO? Can you tell the audience the importance of March 8, 1971, and how that probably wouldn't happen in today's time? Yes, the COINTELPRO was the counterintelligence program. It was an FBI program created to disrupt uh, the Black liberation movement and left movements generally. Uh, people were under surveillance. FBI killed people like uh, Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, uh, which happened in 1969 in Chicago. And in 1971, a group of, uh, they were mostly anti-war protesters. They knew that there was FBI surveillance. At the time, there was still a draft. There were people breaking into draft offices and stealing draft cards and so forth. So these people who were near Philadelphia broke into an FBI office they chose the night of the first Ali Frazier fight because they figured people would be listening to the radio, paying attention to the fight. And uh, uh, so they practiced, they broke in, they stole every document in this office, uh, sent them off to the New York Times, to the Washington Post, to some so-called liberals, George uh, McGovern, uh, Perrin Mitchell, a Congressional Black Caucus member from Baltimore and some other people. New York Times turned it over to the FBI. Perrin Mitchell, George McGovern turned it over to the FBI. The Washington Post, for whatever reason, uh, the late Ben Bradley and Catherine Graham decided to run the information. And that is how the public found out about the extent of the COINTEL Pro program. And if somebody did that today, managed to get their hands on information and give it to the Washington Post, they wouldn't print it either. But they broke the logjam, they printed it, then of course the New York Times had to print it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the world found out about the extent of what J. Edgar Hoover, the law breaking, the uh, uh, rights violations he had been committing, 
Uh, every FBI agent had to spy on Black people, Black organizations, Black students. Uh, it could be a beauty salon, a bookstore, anything. Uh, black people were subjected. You know, they talk about the Stasi in East Germany. Well, that's what we had in this in uh, in this country. Uh, but because the media has um, have moved to the right politically too, uh, none of them would reveal it. We see it now in this story about Nord Stream. They have ignored Seymour. This is a bombshell story. They have ignored it. The New York Times won't talk about it. The Washington Post doesn't talk about it. Unless you follow this stuff yourself and know where to look, you don't even know about it. A mm -hmm. 5,000 word article, well-written, well-sourced, telling you how the U.S. blew up Nord Stream, but they won't touch it in corporate media. I mean, it's just like they did with the Hunter Biden story. Um, <laughs> and to me, if you're covering up something like that, that must be some significant um condemnation of something that must be something in there for them to cover it up like that like what what would it implicate well um biden is vice president he ukraine was his baby he was in charge of ukraine as vice president under obama his son got this uh he was on the board of a, a ukrainian gas company made fifty thousand dollars a month to do nothing just to have mm. the last name biden one of the emails on his laptop, someone said to him, thank you for introducing me to your father. Now, Biden had already always said his son was on this board, it had, but he had nothing to do with it. And that is what spooked them, uh, that this news broke uh, towards the end of the 2020 campaign season. And so they worked with Twitter, with Facebook to, you couldn't um, share a link about this story on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I mean, they worked with the Biden campaign to try to kill this story. Now, I happen to think it would not have stopped him from winning. I think they probably should have left it alone. But, um, um, you know, we we knew where Biden stood on Ukraine and, and we don't know what he, who his son introduced him to or what Biden may have done. But it was something they could have left alone. But the optics were bad. So they succeeded in, in quashing the story, but the story now lives on uh, because of um, uh, their uh, bad decision. And it tells you how the state works with these big tech platforms. And now the new owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, um, revealed it, although he's, you know, got got other uh, other issues. You can't be a big, you know, fan of <laughs> Elon Musk. <laughs> Do you have any updates on um, the Julian Assange situation? Um, I followed some, just uh, I watched the Belmore's Tribunal that they had in D.C. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple people on on a few episodes, but um, I haven't really followed Assange the last month, to be honest with you. Yeah, today's a, apparently today is the an fourth anniversary of his being arrested in Britain. They The U.S., uh, interfered with the government of Ecuador to uh, end his asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Uh, they've, uh, the British have kept him in prison. Uh, the charges he faced, you know, if, if it's more than a hundred years in prison because someone leaked to him, um, Bradley Manning leaked to him information uh, showing the U.S. troops murdering uh, Iraqis and murdering some journalists 
So these charges uh, came up. It was a Trump prosecution, but Biden has continued it just like he continues everything else Trump did in foreign policy. Um, and um, uh, uh, Julian Assange is still in jail in Britain, but he could be extradited to the U.S. I think they're trying to decide if it's worse to extradite him uh, and uh, holding a, a trial here is worse, but he's been indicted in the... Um, Southern, is it the Southern District in Virginia? I'm, yes. Or is it the Eastern District in Virginia? Maybe Eastern. Ah, I can't remember. But this court is a hanging court. Nobody's ever acquitted, ever. And that is where they try these, um, uh, it said he's violated the Espionage Act. And Obama did this. Um, you know, people who, uh, whistleblowers were tried for espionage. Mm -hmm. And this is the culmination of something that Obama started and Trump continued and Biden continues and he's been indicted in this court. And if he's extradited there, he is going to be convicted and he will go to jail. I think they, I think they're hoping he dies in jail, frankly. Yeah. Uh, they don't want to let him go. They don't want to give him a win, but they want, he's, he's a perfect example. It's like, well, if you're thinking about blowing a whistle, if you're thinking about leaking anything, you could end up like Julian Assange. And um, uh, so I don't believe there has been any movement. I know his father and brother have been traveling uh, around the country in support of him. His own government, the Australian government, mm -hmm. has tossed him under the bus because they're such lackeys of the U.S. They have never uh, defended him. So all that to say, I, as far as I know, everything in his case is status quo. Yes, and um, unfortunately, this goes back to... Um the Russia smearing and everything that's not desirable. They would, they just had a Russian label on you. Do you know, do you see how Twitter all of a sudden everyone's got government funded media now next Which to their is name? what it should have said all yeah. along. It it's like they like were like Chinese, Chinese affiliated media, Russian affiliated media. Well, NPR does what it says, whatever the state department says. So Fine. Call them uh, government affiliated media. Call the BBC and the New York Times government because that's what they do. So, you know, Elon Musk, he's funny. It's like one minute you hate him and then he does something. You're like, well, yeah, I can't argue with that. Right. I because sure can't. You mentioned that in that last episode. You said um, when that report came out against Black Agenda Report, these people polling and uh, rating the podcast and all the different news, alternative news. And they had you all in the far left and the propaganda and everything. It had Russian, uh, Russian propagandists, proper, proper not. Yes, we were Russian propagandists, which we were proud to be on the list. It just showed we were independent. So we didn't have any reason to object to being on the list. But the fact that this listing exists and this labeling of uh, individuals and news sites as being uh, Russian or Chinese be because you deviate from... Uh, the establishment narrative is a, is indeed a very bad thing. It's a it's a form of censorship, and I think that's why Assange is also like in public opinion, because I see people are using Assange is almost like a a litmus test in the eye of public opinion. Because I've seen people completely make three sixty turns when it comes to Assange. They hated him one minute, then they were sympathetic towards him one minute, and now it's like they're right back where they started again. Well, that's why they tied him to Russia. 
They mm-hmm. say, you know, he's the one who put Trump in the White House. Not that the, you know, dumb Hillary Clinton put Trump in the White House. <laughs> so all you do is claim, well, hey, you know, Trump wouldn't be president if it weren't for Assange or he was working with Russia. Uh, you know, he hacked and gave information to Russians. Somebody at the DNC leaked to him. That's mm-hmm. what happened. And that's why those emails that embarrassed Hillary Clinton came out. I don't think that's why she lost, though. Uh, but even so, if if that is why she lost, they weren't lying. Um, right. <laughs> they revealed that she was cheating Bernie Sanders. That was just a fact. And uh, and she wasn't smart enough to do the most basic thing of getting out the vote and uh, making sure she got those, uh, you know, relatively small numbers, 78,000 votes. How do you raise a billion dollars and then you can't get 10,000 more votes in Michigan? But that's why Trump ended up being president. And so, of course, you need this uh, tall tale to uh, uh, and people are still loyal to her. I'm like, how are you loyal to the person who lost to Trump? Uh, She she spent all these decades scheming to be president and she lost to a guy who didn't even think he was going to win. But anyway. To my friends who still stand with her, um, good for you. Um, I still love you, but I can never get to that. I'm sorry, I can't get on that level. <laughs> no, 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 it's bad. No, no, no. And it's just, I <laughs> just like I don't, I don't get it. I've, um, you know, you try to share things with people, and like I said, I think it's just people not wanting to break away from that mental, um, tide is there. Like they know, I think deep down, but it's like they they've associated themselves and affiliated themselves with so many different people to reinforce that view. And, and that's the danger of these echo chambers. Like people, it may not necessarily be a good thing just because people agree with, you think they agree, agree with everything you think, but um, it, it's good to talk to different people. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it, it is. It's uh, I feel like Russiagate is comforting. I think for people mm-hmm. who couldn't believe Trump won, it was comforting to say, ah, there weren't millions of people who liked Donald Trump. It's some evil Russian man who put him into office. So I think that's the appeal of it. And that's why people don't, it's like, la, 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 I can't hear you. That's why they don't want to hear anything different. <laughs> but um, Margaret, is there anything else you want to leave my audience with before we leave today? Um, I will link in the description how people can get in touch with you. Oh, sure. Blackagendareport.com. We have a new issue every Wednesday. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Freedom Ride Blog is my uh, Twitter handle. I'm also involved with Black Alliance for Peace. That's blackallianceforpeace.com. And we just launched a campaign, the Zone of Peace uh, initiative, um, uh, an effort to mobilize grassroots folks in various, in the U.S. or Haiti or Cuba or wherever uh, to fight against U.S. uh, militarism. So, I urge people to uh, check us out there. And I have a Facebook page also, Margaret Kimberly. And um, do you want me to link that into the description of your Facebook page? Uh, yeah, probably Twitter. Well, you know what? What's best? I have to think. Black Ag- just link to Black Agenda Report. That's best. Okay. I'll definitely do that. And um, just so the audience can know before we leave, I want to get this in so I can hold myself to it. And uh, my dissertation director, Don Duke, will be proud of me because um, I kind of delay things when it comes to writing, but I owe Black Jenny Report an article, so you will get an article. Um, I already have everything written down. I just have to be, you know, type it up, 
but I think I had the dissertation, just the dissertation brain has finally gone away. So okay. I can focus on writing again. <laughs> All right. I look forward to it. I look forward to getting it. But um, Margaret Kimberly, it was a wonderful, wonderful episode 39. I'm so glad that you came to join us today. Episode 40, we have Constance Every uh, to discuss her mayoral race in Knoxville. Um, for, episode 41, Amira Napier. And we have a lot of guests down the road. Um, Don Duke, my dissertation director. We have Norman Finkelstein. We have Medea Benjamin. We have a lot of people coming on, politicians, activists, um, truth seekers, authors, just different types of people. Um, that's what we like to do in the forum. Have a beautiful day, and we will talk soon. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you so much. Peace.